0: Well, thank you everyone for tuning in for this week's episode of Unscripted Equity Curiosity. Uh, this is episode eight. My name is Andrew Freed, Communications Sector Head here at Hedgeye, and I have the pleasure to be joined by Ami Joseph, Hedgeye Tech, and Felix Wang of Hedgei China. Uh, this week, I think we're, we're going to go probably in a couple different places, but we're going to build on an episode that we talked about a few weeks ago where I talked about kind of the learnings and one of my top mistakes, uh thus far in my career and what I learned from it and how I've tried to, you know, reconfigure my process to not make the same mistake twice. And Ami, who has been doing this longer than I have, uh, and he has a l- more experience, and I'm not going to age you, Ami, but
1: you do, and we all appreciate that. Um,
0: I think he's going to go had, over. And for,
1: and for full disclosure, I have never made a mistake ever in this business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you're you're a guru. You know, you're, you're never make mistakes.
1: Um but,
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I think I'm I'm looking forward to kind of hearing, you know, about uh maybe your biggest mishap, um what you learned from it and how you've kind of retooled your process um, accordingly. So, uh, with that, I'll just uh I'll let you run with it.
1: Thanks Andrew. Um so for those listening, uh we uh we previewed the topic uh just like a few seconds ago before we started recording. And I didn't know that I was going to be on the hot seat, and I didn't know I was going to be talking about this, as unscripted tends to be, you know, kind of on the fly. Usually I get to be in the seat asking the questions, um, which is obviously, which is fun for me and easier. Um, But I'm sitting here right now with, like, a little ash on my forehead. I've ripped my clothing. Um, I've, I've turned down the lights. I've covered the mirrors, and I'm basically sitting on the floor. So... Um, because, as I remember this um this episode of my life um this is like uh i 'm going to tell you all about my worst pick ever so <clears throat> so this is you know brings up not happy memories um let me set the set the mood here for a second so i I joined Putnam into early two thousand and nine and uh, the market was still like getting eviscerated every single day and my job at Putnam was I was doing technology as I have done my whole career but I was doing all international technology this was kind of like the first time I was ever really just focused on international technology and my goal er, early on when I first got to Putnam we had some great cyclical trades Uh, the market the portfolio managers there were courageous enough to actually follow me into some cyclical names Samsung and Axtron and other things like that but as we went along I really wanted my goal was to fill up my portfolio fill up the portfolio uh, holdings of my portfolio managers um, with names that we could own for a duration like at least three years and that we could own in size and that we could buy more if they dip on earnings rather than kind of like a cyclical call like oh everything's bombed out and let's you know let's make a trade Um, and I started to find a number of these uh, investments, most of them successful um, but the first one of them was long top Financial Technology at the time. this was a Chinese software company that was uh, listed on the nasdaq was around a two billion dollar one point i think it was one point four billion dollar market cap when we started with it and it was fully Chinese. All the operations were in China and what they were doing was it was mostly IT services um, and, the, and the organization was focused on the biggest banks in China and they were helping the biggest banks modernize their software. The biggest banks in software had at the time, this was back in 2010, 2009-2010, had legacy systems that were not updated. And were not current and had breakage and all kinds of other problems. And the banking system, for those who follow China, the banking system is very, very important to the overall economy and to the and to the government as well. So this was kind of like from on high that they had to accelerate their modernization. And Longtop was in a perfect position to benefit. Uh, the company. We did tons of channel checks and tons of calls and this and that and whatnot, and customers and partners and channel partners and and looking at the stack and everything and they were the leader in the space. they were not the only company, but they were the leader by far um, the c f o was a canadian c f o who had um, c f a charter holder and m b a and he was um, he had taken several companies public. Out of China, uh, successfully on the Nasdaq, and he had credibility. Um, they were backed by uh, Sequoia in China. They were also backed by Tiger Global, who had a massive stake at the time of the IPO and was not a seller. And so there was this a lot of great things about uh, Longtop, and we part- we joined- we invested in the company. We took a big stake. We were page one holder, top five holder, and. Um, it was a good investment for a while um, about a year into the story, uh, maybe a little bit longer, maybe it was like you know somewhere between a year and a year and a half into the story, into the our investment horizon. Um, Muddy waters came out with a short on long top, basically claiming that they were fabricating their results and Now the stock uh, dropped, and we were still sitting on gains. But the first thing I did, I spent all that time working on you know, how to validate, verify, etc. Now, at the time, I had a somewhat unsophisticated but constant check that I did for all companies, which was that if revenue growth, net income growth, and operating cash flow growth went in the same direction over time, then I knew there wasn't some funky recognition issue or accounting treatment for the P and L that really was, you know, not real from a cash perspective. Some kind of fakery, right? Like I had found fakes before, and I had found them by doing that quick and dirty test. Like something, some, you know, you see trends going in the opposite direction. Where oh, revenue comes growing beautifully, but the cash flow is going negative every quarter. You know, at some point, if those things don't marry. Um, they can be, they can be caught up after multiple quarters, but as long as they go in the same direction over time. And I had found fakery before that way and that passed the smell test with long top and we got on multiple calls. I was probably spoke to the CFO every other day during this process. Um, and we were, we even spoke to, they even put their auditors on the phone at some point. So this was kind of like the, the body of research that I did. But ultimately, Muddy Waters was right. And they were, what was happening at Longtop was the CEO and his brother in law, the COO, um, were giving the CFO, like, kind of like top down numbers for what the quarter was and what the outlook was. And the CFO would flow that all through. And the cash collections were fabricated because their cousin was the manager of the local bank that was managing their account. So they could basically do what they wanted with, uh, with, the, with the actual cash flow numbers. So this was perpetrated by uh, the founder and his, and his crew, and the CFO literally did not know. Um, and then, by the way, he spent the next, like, five years trying to, like, unwind what happened, figure it out, you know, et cetera, um, win reparations for some funds. Um, but the at the time, um, the gap meant – now, those who've invested in IT service companies before know that there are risks. And it's not just IT services. It's any long – it's even in industrials. It's, like, long construction projects, any kind of project where there's percentage of completion is a key metric for recognizing revenue and cash flows and because like if you're if you have a hundred million dollar thing over a seven-year period of time with multiple deliveries along the way, if you say oh this quarter we're 51.5% delivered versus 52 there's a delta in revenue, you know it changes everything, right? And if you're making those uh, obviously top-down adjustments that is like you know, very very hard. That's the hardest. They, they used to say. I don't know if this is still true today, but they used to say that the hardest frauds to find uh, are literally top-down adjustments, when the, the the person in charge is literally erasing and writing in a new number. I was part of that. First job out of college was I was an investment banker, and I joined Bear Stearns, and it was a time where like there was a lull in business activity because of there was an emerging market meltdown and so on and so forth. So I was put onto this. What had happened was um, Bear Stearns had advised a major a company on a merger, um, and the merger had gone through, and then it turns out the, acquir- the partner they acquired was a fraud. And so I was on that, you know, helping to try to justify and make, make it look like Bear Stearns was fine, and also make it look like the management team of the acquiring company was, was fine um, or had not done anything, you know, knowingly legal. But that was the case back then, was they literally the acquire the target company had erased financials and written in different numbers. Um and that's why they were able to get past the auditors and past everybody and so on and so forth. So that was what was happening with Longtop. What well, it was like a you know, they were writing in and it was a lot of it was percentage of completion, which is anyway like kind of like a subjective estimate. Now what happened with Longtop was a $2 billion, at the time, I think it was like $2.2 billion market cap company on the NASDAQ literally went to zero. They got a Wells notice and they went to zero. This is zero. So not only was that like a bad call, but that was a zero shot on the long. We were a page one holder. I think we owned, I think Fidelity owned like 13%, Tiger owned like. I want to say nine percent, and we owned seven percent, and it was a big black eye and um you you wouldn't be surprised i mean putnam might might take this story their own way, but like you wouldn't be surprised to know that I wasn't working at Putnam about a month and a half later, so this is like this is like where all the marbles are on the table, right um now, what did I learn from this process because that's like the key thing? So one, I'll share with you like a yellow flag and then I'll share with you like an investment process that I learned. The yellow flag I learned was that along the way, Longtop raised capital. They did a secondary and they said the purpose of the secondary, it wasn't insider selling, it was primary selling shares. The purpose of the secondary was to raise capital so that they could go, that they, up was the leader in banking software in China for, IT, you know, basically, rem, uh, um, not remediation, modernization. And there was a similar market among the brokerages, and they wanted to go and buy one of the leading providers for the brokerages, similar business model, and um, so they raised capital to go do this. And, at the time, I thought, oh, that's sensible. It sounds like a good market to go into and so on and so forth. We participated, all that kind of stuff. Time went by, no acquisitions were announced. Now, they defended this by saying, like, oh, well, these companies were, you know, were very, the valuation is very expensive right now. We're waiting. And the more the more time that passed, the more I found this to be a yellow flag because capital, if you're a public company, capital is available. You can raise capital when you need to. There's a lot of different ways of doing that. If you're literally closing a deal, then you need the capital. If it's like a year or two away, you should not be raising capital. It's a yellow flag. It makes me now, whenever I see that, it makes me wonder, like, what's going on here? Does the company – is the company's cash burn different from what the, the financials actually show? Uh, is one question pops into my head, or two, do they think their business over the next year will not be so cash flow rich for some reason that they haven 't shared with all of us that they feel they need this backstop of cash so that 's kind of like a yellow flag that that when I look back, what could you know what I have seen differently that maybe was like a signal point for me to 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 kind of like take a fresh look at long top um, and then the investment process part i 'll say. Um, is this if there's smoke around a company don't walk run because there's so many other fish in the sea like longtop the 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 drama with longtop forget about losing my job but like the drama with longtop took was was unfolded over many weeks it might have been two and a half months of my time being on the phone with the CFO, being on with the auditors, calling this one, talking to that one, talking to the muddy waters people, the new report coming out, hearing about the financial transactions on the side, all those things. I couldn't at the time, do the rest of my job, which was you know maintain, monitor, analyze, come up with new ideas, all those other things, and it was so so much drama and so much like debate that it would have just been better to just walk. And even if we were taking a loss on the position, just take a marker and move on. There are other things. So if there's ever like accounting scandal and those kinds of things, I my view is there are so many fish in the sea. Just move on.
0: Um, you, you know what I? You know what I call that? I, I, I think about that a lot. Like it's like, what's your return on brain damage? It's brain damage. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's just like, what's my ROI? Like, should I? You know, um, yeah, it's like, do you spend like three months trying to defend this position and, and like for something that may not work out in the end, or do you just allocate capital and your time elsewhere? I think it's a, it's a very important question that everyone, I think, has to, to figure out at some point.
1: That's right. And, and, um, I think maybe the signal is also like just when you're spending too much time on an existing position, trying to figure out because it's down, you're down, and you're kind of trying to figure it out it's just it 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 really does wrap you up and makes you unclear makes you it it takes away your ability to uh find new ideas with clear signal and to populate portfolios because all anyone wants to talk about is what's going on with this long top it's down another 10 percent today or hey it's up seven today do you know why or like whatever it is you know so there's it it just creates that volatility around the equity research creates this issue um there are other like accounting ways of sort of from the outside validating um methods of of recognition there's, there there's there're definitely other like tricks of the trade but in the case of longtop because there was a I mean literally they fooled the CFO um that was one where like, it, it was it was really just, I could not have figured it out before, but once, uh, and the way Muddy Waters figured it out, by the way, was they were doing channel checks, and they heard from someone who works at the bank, at the local bank, who manages the long top account, who said, you know, basically pointed out that, like, there's a little bit of fiction in that. Um, so anyway, so that's kind of the, the long top story. Uh, and that was, so, so,
0: so so what's, what happened? So what, what, what's this company? Is it, is it, I mean, you said it got delisted, so it probably doesn't exist today, but like, it does not exist. Got it. Did it, does the cup, so the company just went away or was it like, did the technology get absorbed by another entity or. I tried
1: to, I tried to figure that out. Um, my guess is that the operations were absorbed, um, but I don't know by whom. And I don't know where they reside today. Yeah, I, I, it's a good question, and I never figured it out.
0: Yeah, I probably, so, you could know, think
1: of, I probably could think of ways of figuring it out now. And by the way, one of those things is that is that today, like I'm also a short seller, whereas back then I was a long only, and I had only been a long only. And as a short seller today. I'm just, autom- even just thinking about it now with your question, I'm thinking of like nine different ways I could test, validate. Well, mine, actually, that, you know, like- that's
0: actually a really interesting point on me because, you know, obviously I've, I've always, I, I've spent most of my equity research career at Hedgeye and so always kind of thinking through a long, short framework. And, and you spend a lot of time at, at long only shops. So, you know, from a process standpoint, like do you think that, you, you know, you would have maybe like if you had your process today and you applied it to kind of due diligence on this ticker, because you can, you know, think about idea, coming up with ideas on the short side that maybe you would have gone, like you would have picked up on this sooner, or maybe you would have maybe not have passed your smell test as easier as as, as, I don't say easy at, you know, pass your smell test like it did back then. Um, You know, I'm just kind of curious, like, as you make that transition, as you have made that transition and think about short selling versus being long only prior uh, previously.
1: Yeah. I, I think that, um, I think maybe, like, yes, if I had had a mandate to find shorts, um, then maybe. it's. This is extremely hard to do, by the way, um, like emotionally, when you're
0: yeah, when you're yeah.
1: invested long, and not just like as a trade, but you're invested in, like, saying, like, this is a $2 billion company going to be a $7 billion company someday, and you have your whole firm as long the stock, even, you know, Everyone you know is part of it, and people have all bought on board, brought on board, and everyone's everyone's met the management team multiple times, and so on and so forth. And it's very hard to like turn around and be like, nope, we're shorting, and people are still long in your firm. It's very hard emotionally to make that uh, a switcheroo. Uh, but maybe if we, if I had had that mandate, it's hard to know. Uh, taking what I have now yeah. to, to back then, um, but one thing's for sure, I definitely. F- I definitely enjoy my process more today than I did then. I, I still, I still look back at that. Pro- that process basically is about when you're at a mutual fund, it's about finding great business models, great business models, good management teams go. And then you can, then you put the rest of the numbers in there, right? It's like large potential market, disruptive product and technology, positive reception of the product, things like that. But I think like, you know, over time, um, When you're also looking for shorts, you know what, you know what fails. You start to look for what fails also. Maybe it makes you a better long investor too, because you really kind of know when something isn't a good short, that's also a good indication.
0: Yeah. I was actually going to, I was actually going to say that, um, you know, about when you can have a short mandate, it it makes you're, you know, a better investor on the long side because it helps optimize that decision making process, right? Like, it's it's you know like I'll get like do i like if i if I have the choice between two cable companies right or like two internet companies, yeah you, know, you know both have similar exposures, similar business models, but you know different use cases um from a consumer perspective, like which one do I want to go long and why right, and you know I think having that framework allows you to just build more conviction in your top longs because you know why you're not short it and you also know why you don't want to be long the com- you know the competitor in the space or the number two or the number three right and so it just gives you more conviction in terms of what works and what really doesn't work I, I think I mean I've, I've noticed that and I've actually noticed that like across a lot of the analysts at Hedgeye just over the years is that like you know we, we tip- like in terms of our wins like we we typically like our, our longs like top longs usually work like really, really well. The ones that everyone's like pounding the table on. And I think it's a function of part of that, that process, right? Cause it, it's just it's like the process of elimination, right. And you're just always focusing on what the highest return opportunity is both from a, you know, research perspective and, you know, like we said, brain damage perspective as well.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I I think being a two A investor is very important because you don't ignore signals and and in fact you're, you're hunting for them because you're always looking for for good short ideas just as much as you're looking for good long ideas.
2: Yep, absolutely. Hey, hey, Ami. Um, I just have a quick question for you. I think this is a very interesting uh, example that you choose that you chose for your mistake. Um actually, you know it's really hard to recognize fraud, right and I always in my space, I always get people who who talk to me about you know fraud in the china space and you had long Pop, and then sorry about the back it's okay. um and then we had Luckin we had luck coffee the last couple of years um but i I was curious if um if this company actually bounced back, what I mean by that is, um, in other words, like Luckin right now, for example, is traded on the pink sheets, but it's still operational. Like they're still selling something, right? And people are going in and buying tea and coffee. Um, I guess it may be a little bit different for a finance company, but I was just curious, did, did the company shut down uh, permanently? After this fraud was um discovered
1: that's my understanding Um okay. that it that it' shut down uh permanently um but you know i um there's i want to mention in the china context um the um, you know after I left uh putnam. Um, I had my own business, and I was working for uh, multiple different um, hedge funds and and also lonelies as like an outsourced senior analyst. It's essentially the same job I was doing before, but now also starting to look for shorts and serving hedge funds who are like some amazing hedge funds. I learned so much from them. Um, And one of the shorts I found, uh, Felix, was that in the um, period of, it was like twenty thirteen twenty fourteen that um lenovo had so massive chinese company had had basically hidden uh debt on its balance sheet um which uh had covered up losses in the 08, 09 and and beginning of twenty ten period and it was a massive amount of debt from its parent um like that they owed it was intercompany debt but they had basically covered it up so it was it it's still it's still um uh, I can tell you, like, what I how I found it. Basically, was you know. Anyway, I, that's maybe another another time. But um, I think that these things can can frame up great shorts. And I'd be happy to talk to you anytime about China. I'm sure it's a lot better today, or at least I'm told it's a lot better today in terms of accounting um, in China. And um, but if you want to talk about signals to look for and, and Thing, tricks, tricks of the trade I've found before. Like I'm happy to give you what I know, and then and then I would actually probably in your shoes probably worth like building on that. And not and not not to castigate like an entire you know nation of people. It's just more like it's kind of like almost like an accounting fraud is most often I think a, 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 an entrepreneurial mistake. Like where people the entrepreneur is so used to um, you know trying to pull the cord to the plug. Do you know what I'm saying? Like an entire time of an entrepreneur's life, they're always <laughs> trying to pull cord to plug, and there's always a distance there. And the question is, like, can you can you you know can you can you make it to the end there and just basically tell people where, where you'll be in six months instead of like where you are now? And there's something something about that that's very generic to entrepreneurs, and I think that well, happens a it, lot. It, it's not China. a lie if you
2: believe
0: it.
1: It's not a lie if you believe it, Ali. So <laughs> right, <laughs> also true. Right, right.
2: Yeah, that would be fantastic. Maybe for another episode we can talk about what you uh, heard on the Lenovo front. Yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, in, in the China space, it's kind of synonymous with fraud lately just because there's a couple of, you know, highly controversial names. I won't name them, but everyone knows them. That's been widely shorted. Um, ever since Luckin happened, I guess, people are looking for frauds, But I would just caution, you know, there are, it's a very there's a lot of great channels in China, right? No one's dumb, right? But um, the regulators know what's going on, um, and things change. So, looking, you know, this long long top could be just two out of a million cases of potential fraud in China. Um, that's right. I'm just trying to pitch my
1: that's uh, right
2: uh, China here, but. All all I'm saying is, you know, when some of our competition try to frame it as a fraud, um, they need to be a little bit careful. It's not just, you know, going from store to store collecting data. There's, particularly for online companies, it's a lot harder to discover fraud. Um, Just because, again, there's a lot of great channels. There's a lot of information information. Going about and a China regulators, you know, have that access to that information, so things may look yeah, a little I bit. Yeah,
1: I mean, if yeah. you look back okay. at the 2011 period, like the Chinese regulators were not celebrating Longtop as a victory, right? This was like a black eye. They did not want this to happen again. Um, so and yes, I agree with you, like you know, the day after you find a massive fraud like Luckin isn't the day to go accuse every other company of fraud because whatever other company out there might have been doing something shady, they're going to clean it up immediately because (laughs) the scrutiny goes high, and so it's very unlikely that you're going to find something in the quarters that ensue after something like Luckin. So I would agree with you that I think uh, that's probably uh, a... a, a, uh, it's almost like being a momentum investor in frauds. Like there's a momentum, more and more people are committing frauds. No, it doesn't work like that. That's not how it is. I also agree with you about the like the narrative that I wouldn't run away with the like, oh, all Chinese equities are frauds, right? Like I wouldn't run away with that. I think that my experience with accounting um, while I was doing kind of international um you remember there, there, there have been even in Japan, which has a culture of like, if you drop ten thousand dollars in untraceable bills on the floor and walk, someone will pick a, it up and run to you and be like, "Sir, you dropped your cash." Like even in the even in a culture like that, which is like has an, like an extreme honesty to it, there have been some very, very public frauds, the like accounting frauds over the last ten years. Um, in Japanese equity. So it's it's I don't think any place in the United States of course many, 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 many. So I think that um I don't think any place I I don't think there's a need for like a narrative. I do think there are varying degrees of how, how cultures treat accounting rules. And so maybe there's a little bit of grey around that. Um you know shades of grey around that. I think probably the worst offenders are Korea, if I, South Korea, if I could say, if I could overgeneralize from my own personal experience. But I don't think there's a need to, I don't think there's even a need for that just because I just think it's always good to double check on this kind of stuff and always good to be vigilant uh, on on this kind of thing.
2: But uh, I, I agree with you 100% on me and particularly on your point where if you sense any kind of uncertainty accounting-wise Look elsewhere. <laughs> There's a lot of companies out there, uh, you know. So that's kind of how I feel, actually, because um, I was looking at one company in my space. Uh, I know we're, we're running past time, but I'll just share this little anecdote. I was looking at this one company that's heavily controversial um, in one of my spaces, and I figure, you know, it has a good growth model. Could um, it be fraud? Maybe, maybe not. But why take that risk, right? There's a lot of, maybe their competitors do even better, and they're not really under that microscope. So, but as an analyst, it's difficult because you don't know for sure if what you see on paper is what's actually being done. Um, This is why due diligence, you know, is so critical. Um, That's right. But, uh, yeah, to your point, There there should be like a... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say, if you sense anything, you know, smelly, fishy, or funky, when you're doing your due due diligence, you know, just look elsewhere because um, must there's be a lot of it. great companies out there. <laughs> yeah, you could short it, but it, and what if it doesn't turn out to be a fraud, right? Sometimes no, I know, saying. but I mean,
0: I, I, I mean, I, I pers- like I love like when you can, when you're doing, like, when you're digging in and something doesn't add up. And then you kind of start to go down that rabbit hole. Like sometimes it's a complete waste of time, but other times like you just finding, you keep finding, you know, little nuggets along the way and eventually like,
1: Oh, those are know. the best. Those I mean, yeah. The I,
0: and, and then like, it leads to like this really outside consensus, like
1: opinion of the stock and you're yes. in there. Like
0: how and is everybody? Usually,
1: yes. It's usually like a consensus long that everyone's yeah. like fallen asleep on and they're just sort of like happy with it. Like I was on Longtop, right? Like it, it's sort of like one of those things that, that people, yes, and then you find that, oh, my God, they've been capitalizing this. And instead of, you know, recognizing it, uh, expensing it, and you're like, what the fuck? They're overstating earnings and, and whatever, like all this stuff. Like you can find things. It's possible to find things, yes. And when you do – there's, you should attach yourself to it fully and invest all your energy in it because it will be the best call, one of the best calls you ever make.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, those are, and they're fun. You know, like, I mean, I think we all always like, you know, chase, it's like lightning in a bottle, right? Like you just, you're trying to find that, like that holy, like grail short. <laughs> it's like, it can be, it's, it can be painful and it takes a lot of time because, you know, and you know, it can be often the most rewarding, but um,
2: they're, they're few and far
0: between that's, that's, I guess. For sure, um, but maybe less so in this market. I don't know. A lot of stocks, a lot of like a lot of stocks have been gone down, going down re- recently. So, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are probably used to telling stories and trying to make it to next next quarter in the liquidity side by you know raising another round of VC capital, but you know may not really be suited to be a public company or mature enough. So, I think there's a lot yeah. of opportunity out there.
1: Well, when you're, looking, um, when you're looking for frauds, um, think about what are the most important metrics that the management team has either bragged about or sort of promised to public equity investors, right? Like if they've promised that their gross margins will not go down anymore, right, it might be true, accurate for two quarters. But then, what happens in the third or fourth quarter, and whatever trend was making the gross margins go down before starts to, you know, show up again? Does oh, manager, I know,
0: I know, I know one of those. I know one of those. you can talk about Right. So does
1: time. the gross? Does the management yeah. team start to pull <laughs> stuff out and put it into UPEX? Do they? Yeah. You know, like what? What do they? Because they feel they've made the promise and they need to stick to their promise. They they put their reputation on the line. But like, it's how, you know. The cover up is worse than the crime. Like, it's just. It's better to just come clean um, and be like, "Yeah, we were wrong." <laughs> you know, like it's just better. It goes down, but you deal with it. Um, covering it up is the worst. So anyway, that those are the, like in software right now. Um, there's like in the last couple of years, software companies have to because of ASC 606 accounting rules. Software companies have to disclose um, RPO, which is backlog, uh, remaining performance obligations. They've always had to account this way, but they never had to disclose it. And so now they're disclosing RPO, and if you measure the delta between RPO one period versus the previous period, and you add in revenues, you get to RPO billings, basically kind of like a good, a good kind of lead indicator of revenue direction and growth. And um, I'm guessing that there's some. Uh, and what's
0: what's RPO stand for? I mean, just for folks. Oh, it's, it listening.
1: stands for remaining performance obligations. And mm-hmm. I'm and I'm assuming that that. You know when the tide goes out, and and I hope I'm part of this, but like when the tide goes out, people like me will find that that in the in the uh, software multiple craze that we've been in, in the last few years, that some companies you know faked it a little bit on the RPO side that they were showing an R you know an RPO number, and obviously the most easily verifiable is if RPO. Uh, metrics don't translate into revenue right if it doesn't flow into revenue now you're like wait a second our billings growing really really well but revenue doesn't grow or cash flow doesn't grow you know then you know you have something there um, but I'm assuming whatever it is that's the hot metric right customer count yeah we added 10,000 new customers this quarter well we accounted for it differently now you know now it's now it's logo based Well, what was it before well we're not specifying at this time you know like there's going to be fudgery there's going to be because when things are good people want to keep throwing more fuel on that fire and make the stock go up more and show even more good metrics and that's where you get the fakery that's where you get wherever the brag is the the biggest of the company watch there that's those are the KPIs where there's going to be risk Got it
0: All right well I think we're that's good enough for today thank you Ami for telling us about your worst call ever i, I learned a lot from it um, I just, Your Thank honesty you. is appreciative you know especially in this day and age where everyone's a genius and no one makes mistakes so humility's yeah. appreciated and um yeah i think i think we might have just kind of given a sneak preview to into maybe another episode where we can talk about you know best shorts ever and why they were shorts and kind of the fighting a good fight along the way and you know, you know, and, and, and I'm all these little nuggets uh, that we talked about or alluded to on this call. So uh, thank you for that. Thanks Felix as well for your insight as always. And thanks everyone for tuning in and catch you here uh, next time. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the terms of service at hedgeye.com/terms-of-service.